0: everyone this is Jackie Cooper with Jay Cooper Travels and I want to welcome everyone back to this episode and definitely ask that you like and subscribe so that way you can stay tuned with all the um, episodes that um, are coming up and also I would like to suggest and recommend that you go back into the feed of the episodes that I've done in the past because um, I've spoken with Deborah um, before on a variety of topics and books and um, her life experiences and you're going to want to go back to those episodes so that way you can enjoy everything that we chatted about before. Today is a continuing part of our series of episodes because she is involved with so many uh, wonderful things helping people all around the world. And I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself. So I want to welcome Deborah. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Jackie, for having me again. It's always yeah. a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you, um, You know, both because of the fact that um, you're an author, but also your life experiences are really relevant both in today's climate as well as in historic times. So uh, why don't you go ahead and share um, with everyone who's listening or watching. And I do recommend that everyone come on to the YouTube side as well so you can see some of the visuals we might be showing. But um, why don't you share with everyone a little bit about your background because there is a lot of diversity. And for another thing I want to mention to everyone, um, if when we mention different websites or links, if you don't have paper and pen, don't worry, I'm gonna be embedded them in the blog below. So you can just come back to this episode or some of the past episodes and you'll be able to reach out to Deborah and connect with her on all the projects she's doing. So now I'll, I'll let you share. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, my name is, uh, is Deborah Levine and uh, I am a Forbes magazine, diversity and inclusion trailblazer. Uh, I have spent more than three decades in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am an award-winning author of 15 books on that topic. And I am the founder and editor-in-chief of the e-magazine, AmericanDiversityReport.com which uh, has more than a thousand articles from experts around the world and is uh, a resource for so many and an honor to do. So, so you've
0: written, yeah. sorry to interrupt, you've written a number of books. Why don't you um, highlight some of the books that we have already talked about?
1: All right. So the the 15 books that I've written, right? Um, it came about, uh, years and years ago, uh, when I was first asked to uh, contribute a chapter to a book uh, about religious diversity. Uh, And I said, well, I have not written a book yet. I'm not sure you have the right person. And they said, yes, we are sure and we'll pay you. And I said, okay, it's a deal. (laughs) And off we went and I was soon writing my own book um, that um, had the honor of a National Press Association Award. And there's nothing like that to keep you going. <laughs> so some of the books that I've talked about on your show include uh, my, my memoirs of, of what I did, how I did it, and why I did it. So I'm going to show you the, uh, the first one that we talked about which is The Liberator's Daughter. Yeah. There, is it. Is it there?
0: It is here, it is here. And I see the title, The Liberator's Daughter. And why don't you go ahead and just give us a, a quick um, summary of, of what it's about.
1: Yeah, okay, so the liberator in the title happens to be my father.
0: Mm-hmm. During
1: World War II, he was a US military intelligence officer assigned to interrogate Nazi prisoners of war and did liberate a death camp. Um, He didn't tell me about this until I was in my 40s and had taken a job with the Jewish Federation in Tulsa shortly after the Oklahoma City bombing and was trained in security and how to deal with neo-Nazi people. Um, What I found out was he kept all his letters and it was life-changing.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: to write this book and um, document what he had seen and what I had seen so that people could have it as a firsthand reference.
0: And then the second book you wrote was about your mom, right?
1: Yes, it was dedicated to my mom. And um, i trying to see if I can get that shared too. Okay,
0: if you'd like, I can unshare. So, or if you Yeah. All right. right. I'm going to unshare so you can reshare. Um,
1: And here we go. This one mm -hmm. is called the magic marble tree. Yep. And it is, it is much more personal and emotional. Uh, And it begins in my childhood in Bermuda where both my mother and I grew up. Uh, And uh, what it was like uh, to come to America uh, to, to, document what it was because that's who we all were. I have letters going back generations and I have a picture of me almost in diapers with a number two pencil and a pad of paper. (laughs) So that's why the subtitle is called A Writer's Journey. Yeah. Uh, My mom, she was the kindest, sweetest woman on the earth. My Aunt Polly, her sister called her a saint. And fortunately she gave me some wonderful people skills, which uh, a true introvert like me really needed.
0: And we talked about um, the fact that I'm in the special ed teaching area, and she also, um, her, her career path also touched on that. And so there was a lot of similarities. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, and okay. so today, uh, what are we gonna be speaking about?
1: And so today, I want to talk about uh, one of the uh, the books that I created uh, shortly after uh, 9-11, mm-hmm. when I created something called the Women's Council on Diversity here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm still headquartered, uh, to try and pull together the community, which was under great duress as we all were at that time. And so the question was going to be, how do we uh, come together uh, as a community and as teams uh, to uh, deal with the chaos around us and make sense of it and plan to move forward? Uh, the, um, despite Chattanooga being a relatively small Southern city, there were many people in it who had never met each other, especially uh, over racial divisions. Uh, and we come together and a lot of folks just kind of stare at each other, what do we do now? <laughs> and that's where I create, started to create uh, worksheets of how to tell your story. So because storytelling is a science and it is something that has been embedded in humanity since almost day one. And the reason why it is so important to me was because when I was a freshman at Harvard, I, uh, I actually wanted to major in religion, world religions, that major back in the day did not exist. And while I offered the Dean uh, my help in creating said major, uh, that was not uh, appreciated particularly. (laughs) And I was told that while I had been accepted uh, to add interest to the freshman class, once I was there, I would major in English or economics like everyone else, which, yeah, I did not do. (laughs) As fate would have it, and I do believe in divine intervention, uh, it was the first year they offered something called folklore and mythology. Mm -hmm. And so I signed up for that. And uh, you were able to kind of pull together different courses to make up uh, a particular segment of your interest in that, which was, to me, cultural anthropology. And that ended me back where I had helped me in the first place, which is Harvard Divinity School. So it's about how people think, what they believe, how they communicate, and the stories that we have through centuries, you know, are still alive in us, right? How does that happen? So I started to teach that, and we would do uh, lunch, what we call brown bag lunch, I said, bring your own, and people it would take turns doing a panel, telling their stories so that we could get to know each other and not have these tremendous divides because we were all frightened and we needed each other and we needed the community come together. So that was the beginning of it, but that was not enough of the to create an entire system. The next step in my mind, was that we had to be able to also increase our emotional intelligence. Now, many people talk about emotional intelligence these days, and they sound very, very professional. And most of us have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Except to say, don't do something stupid, right? (laughs) But the reality is I had looked at this issue for a very long time. And so what I did was I created something called emotion metrics, right? So that you could measure the emotions instead of just going off on a tangent and explaining how you feel, getting all hot and bothered and getting everybody mad at you. So we did the, we did the storytelling and then I asked them to Adjust the story so that the ending was either ideal paradise, number one, number two, okay, tolerable, number three, manageable but not comfy, and number four, nightmare. <laughs> so that they could put, and the stories didn't have to be real. I just wanted them to be able to uh, put a number to how they felt and I told them it takes three weeks to create a habit. I want you to use this process for three weeks every day at some point and so we started to look at, at what we now call the neuroscience of it right? How your brain works, how your emotions intertwine with your stories and your thinking and your ideas. And it was wonderful. And we would have huge conference rooms full of people, right? Around round tables. I'd like to do six to eight people at a time, sharing stories with the emotion metrics. Okay, everybody give you number one, give you number two. Okay? Uh, there was a one funny scene where I had a couple in uh, one group and um, they were reading what they had wrote, written. Uh, one, the, the woman says, oh, I'm going to be in my ideal place on the beach with my husband. Okay? Then he read what he wrote, which was, I'm going to be in the mountains with our dog. <laughs> <Now> that... <laughs> <laughs> So everybody laughed we had a little bit of fun we realized you know you think you're on the same page check it out (laughs) (laughs) and we're laughing and i want people to laugh too because that makes it easier for people to absorb yeah okay so then um, once you have the uh all of the uh, story set out from one to four, I would ask people, okay, take your number one story, change one thing so it becomes a number four, and do the opposite. Take your number four nightmare, change something so it becomes a number one, okay? I wanted people to exercise their mind as well as their emotions in this. And it, would, it, it broadened their ability to see the emotional impact and consequences of actions, mm-hmm. theirs and others. Uh, not only that, but in a team where we did these exercises, without even realizing it, they were developing a common language. Yes. Right. So that they could really communicate very quickly and easily. And they, as I said, so I, so at the end, I said, okay, with the results you have in your team, are you, uh, because I asked them to do a team story, a set of one to four. I asked them, okay, go around the table and report how you feel with the uh, product. Are you with it, not, hate it, okay with it, one to four. And so they did. And um, some, some people, it was, it was eye-opening to see, some people said one and two, a couple people said four. Right, and I said, okay, what you gonna do now that you have somebody that you now know is a number four on your team with your product. <laughs> and it really varied what the response was going to be. In one case, it was a group of teachers and the teachers said, well, we're gonna invite this person to leave our group and find another one that is gonna be nice to them because we really don't wanna deal with it. <laughs> I said, oh, so you're kicking them out, huh? Yeah. And I said, well, okay. Now is the time to go to the next stage in the matrix model management. And that is the decision-making. And I said, the reason why you have to do the storytelling communication matrix, and then the emotional intelligence matrix before you get to the decision-making, instead of, oh, we're gonna fix this, do this, that, and the other, is so that you know what you need to do to make this successful. Right? where the problem is who the problem is what they're telling you right? how are you going to do this now you may decide still to kick them out right but understand right that's a number four and it's not going to do your reputation a whole lot of good <laughs> so we don't we go through this process in this matrix model management system uh, back in 2000 one, nine eleven, right, creating this council of women who were, who had become so savvy in people skills and then in decision-making, right? But then when the world changed and we were starting to look at unconscious bias, right? We could, I could morph the system into dealing with the unconscious bias, because ultimately it always had. But we changed the language somewhat so that it signals what you're really trying to do at that time. And so I'd like to share with you um, the result, which is our unbiased guide for leaders. Now, there are two unbiased guides. One is for leaders and one is for educators, because we had quite a number of individuals who needed it in both arenas. very similar though, taking you through the process of the matrix model management system, but also giving you a guide to uh, what other people had answered and what that looked like. Uh, It's something you can, actually write on and keep for future reference. And it has a fourth stage beyond the matrix model management itself. And that stage is planning. So I like to make sure people understand the difference between decision-making and planning. Decision-making is pretty much on the spot or close to it. Planning can be years out. You make the decisions, but then you look at, the, at how you're going to lay out your mission, your goals, your objectives, who you're gonna delegate the tasks to, the benchmarks where you're gonna see whether you're on course or not, what you need to tweak, and you keep on going over years. And so putting it all together in the unbiased guide was something that really meant a lot to me. As I may have mentioned before, I have a master's degree in urban planning and you cannot make the difference you want to see without having both the short and long-term plan to make that difference. And so that's part of the of, of changing unconscious bias to conscious decisions and giving people the ability, right, then to communicate, emotional intelligence, smart decision-making, and then effective planning.
0: Would you like to show the book, uh, the, the Matrix Model book as well? Again, okay, sure. Yes. Because that one we hadn't shown at the beginning. Right. So yes. this, this is the, the, for those that are looking on the uh, the YouTube side, this is the, the matrix model, the guide to cross-cultural wisdom. So um, you shared an awful lot, which is wonderful. Um, why don't you go ahead and share the website where everyone can um, look at um, the books and what you're doing? Sure.
1: So if you go to my website, which is American Diversity Report.com. You'll see on the left hand side um, about me, it's a drop down menu. You'll see books by Deborah Levine, and you'll see all of the books we've talked about, plus a few in addition. Yeah. You click on them and get the details. You can order them. You can also order them on Amazon, but these come with uh, my uh, a, a personal signature. If you want. Or in bulk, which we've done quite a bit. Uh, teams who want to do this even online, I recommend that they get the, the workbook in the paperback edition so that each one of them can write down what they're thinking and keep it uh, as a guide going forward. I'm you know, I I didn't write 15 books just by chance. (laughs) Right? I'm a big believer in if you don't write it down, it never happened.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. And for everyone who, um, you know, again, if you don't have paper and pen, the the website and everything will be uh, embedded in the blog below. So you can definitely go back. And, um, you know, it's very important that um, we're always reflecting and thinking about how can we improve our communications between um, people within the workspace as well as people within the community. So what you've created is um, a wonderful tool to start the conversation because sometimes that first step is really difficult. And at least having it in book form, it doesn't feel as threatening because you're just following the the rules of the book. (laughs) turn the page there you go (laughs) exactly right exactly right so uh, we've covered a lot I know that we're going to be having other episodes soon is there any last minute thought that you would like to share with those that are listening
1: well um the matrix model management system just on a personal note is named for uh matrix algebra And back in the 1960s, Matrix Algebra was the beginnings of studying computer programming. And um, my mother wanted me to study it in high school. I objected because I was going to be a poet. She said, this is not a suggestion, dear. You will. This is the future. Right. So whenever I look at the book and think of the title, Matrix Model Management System, I think of this woman who grew up in 24 square miles of Bermuda, right? Who understood what the future was going to look like and insisted that her daughter be aware and be able to use it to help change the world so when you guys look at these books right that's what i want you to be thinking about you are now changing the world
0: yes and you know it's it uh i always smile when you tell share that story with me both offline as well as now because you know i remember when i was at um uh, in college and the the computers at that point were huge and i remember my college professor uh winfred asprey and Um, You know, she was um, remarkable from the perspective that at at that point, you know, I was, you know, a youngster in comparison to her and, you know, she had been in the computing world for many years and women at that point, really, she was one of the, the thought leaders in that area. And um, you know, thinking about how computers have changed, and they've reduced in terms of size and speed and everything else like that, um, you know. So I definitely, um, you know, can appreciate your mother's wisdom when she was saying to you, um, "You have to think about that." In the same way, you know, I sort of, um, again, I, I'm I'm not similar to your mom, but I'm I'm thinking about how I share with my daughter. Um, that you need to be looking at what's going on with Web3 and the blockchain, because just like what happened with the Internet and computer coding, there's a lot of different technology which is uh, being uh, developed that in the next 15, 20 years. We don't know the remarkable things that will be shared uh, with those who are the younger generation now, and it will be, you know, in a whole different format. So again, I definitely appreciate what you've created because you've taken that knowledge and you've applied it on the, in the real world, emotional, you know, physical application of people. And sometimes when we're um, looking at the computing side, we disengage from the person. And so again, a lot of times technology, um, you know, is great, but we always need to integrate it with the reason why we're doing this. So um, your book is great.
1: Thank you. And if I might add this, you know, the technology changes so quickly. Yes, it does. Humans, not so much. <laughs> 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 so, um, there are certain universal things about humanity that have lasted for, for thousands of years. And one of the reasons I bring this up, is because as a cultural anthropologist, yes, I embedded that into the matrix model management system, so that when you start out, you you may not realize it, but you are getting a um, a sort of populist version of an extremely esoteric anthropologist called Claude Levi Strauss. As I map out what diversity actually is in multiple ways and it's intersectionality. So in a way that our brains can actually engage with the big data that diversity is. And that's the basis for all of this. Got to be able to think much bigger.
0: Yes, I agree totally, and I appreciate what you're doing. I, I, I cannot wait for our next episode and the conversations that will follow. So for everyone that's listening, definitely like and subscribe to Jacober Travels, and uh, definitely you know come back and go to the link so you can check out the uh, the books. And um, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. We're all connected. We're all one world. And thank you so much for being on. And I look forward to speaking with you again, Deborah. Thank you so much. Talk to you.